I am Doug Friedman. I am Meredith Levy. And this is Insight Out. Your mental breakdown bonus edition. <laughs> the the bonus bonus, which is... Of our podcast. Of our podcast, that's right. Which you'll hear, we have uh, somebody that's going to join us in a little bit, doing some, some Qs. We'll give some As, maybe some Bs, no Cs. <laughs> Uh, definitely no deeds i'm I'm stuffed there (laughs) (laughs) yep so yeah we have someone coming on a very special guest so you'll hear her in a couple minutes that's right meantime it's uh really hot out oh my gosh yeah in la we're in the middle of a heat wave do you know what happened here i don't know if it happened there it was i think two nights ago yeah. Rolling blackouts. Oh, yeah. I know. We didn't have that. And I had no idea that they were planned in L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, some areas of L.A. were going to be without power for one hour. I don't know if they gave you any warning. They didn't give me any warning. So one night and at night, it's still like 90, 95 degrees. Is it really? Yeah. D- Doug is over on one side of town. I'm o- over on the yeah, other. You're near the you, ocean. So you're near the ocean. I'm out near the mountains where it's, yeah, it's a lot hotter. Gets hotter and cooler. Right. Usually it cools down at night. Like it can be 90 during the day and it'll be like 60 at night. That's fantastic. Yeah. No problem with that. Well, I still don't like 90, but that's fine. It didn't cool that night. I think the coolest it was, was about 80 degrees at night and the power was out. Oh my God. I talked to my neighbor, we were texting each other and she was like, yeah, I might have to just get in my car and drive around to have the AC on. right i mean it was getting miserable and we had no idea that it was just going to be one hour we thought like there was an outage and it could be hours and hours right right and then we found out like oh they're they're planning to shut everybody down for an hour uh, strategically like different counties and different areas but man that was brutal yeah brutal i mean i i not the first place i went i used to was does my computer have enough juice? Oh, oh, I don't have my router. Well, I can still get online with my phone, right? Oh, no. I mean, the emergency phone chart, yeah. I, I try to do all that, but whatever. It is what it is. I know. I had uh, a tennis lesson at 4 o'clock. I was like, oh. oh. That's too hot. Even over there. Hot, hot. Yep. Did you grow? Oh, of course you grew up with. We grew up the same. Do you remember uh, having to do earthquake preparedness where we had to have like an earthquake kit and we had to be ready to stop, drop and roll? Yeah. But do you remember doing nuclear war preparedness? No, I I remember doing nuclear war preparedness, not nuclear. Whatever. You know what I mean? It was during the Cold War, which sounds so weird. It sounds like it was like a hundred years ago, but we had to do like nuclear war. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I'm in your head now. No, you got it right. Preparedness. And like we had to, what do we have to do? Get under our desks. Wasn't there a shelter? Like there was a designated area that we had to go to. We had to line up. Yeah. Line up outside the classroom, then single file walk to wherever it was that the shelter was. Usually it was an auditorium or something like that. So crazy. Yep. I remember that. What was crazy is the other day I was talking to a friend of mine in Chicago and she got one of the alerts on her phone. That said, uh, I think tornado warning. Oh my God. Really? They have that in Chicago? She went out on her patio and you could see like the clouds and the storm like coming. 
And sure enough, she like went back inside and it, it slammed Chicago. Like there were trees <gasps> that fell into houses and it like, what? there were sirens. Like while we were on the phone, there were, you could hear the sirens going off, you know, like, like nuclear war sirens, right? <laughs> I mean, they were going off and like, holy crap. And you could see this dark cloud like oh sweeping through the city and areas of it did get hit. And it was bizarre that it came that fast. You know, yeah. there's no warning. I think like getting a rolling blackout happened to me out of nowhere was was tough, but getting an alert on your phone going, oh, there's, there's a yeah. tornado coming, looking outside going, wow, Shit, there's a tornado man. coming. And then it goes and it was done in 15 minutes, but that's gnarly. Insane. Yeah. Speaking of natural disasters. <laughs> <laughs> JK, Mary, JK, LOL. JK. Um, well, we were the natural disaster. Mary was awesome. So oh, go, go. what you guys are going to hear is our friend, Mary Tobin, who works with you, Meredith. Yeah, she does. Friend, Indeed. colleague, amazing human. And she kind of took a bunch of, we had a, a lot of your questions compiled and some of her own questions. And she just kind of walks through. She's been a listener since pretty much day one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Stick around, listen to what she asks us, listen to what we answer. And if you have any more questions or answers, feel free to send them our way. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah. Keep asking. We'll talk to you in a week with some other new content. All right. Here we go. So today we have with us a very special human, Mary Tobin, a colleague and friend of mine who is an amazing therapist and also happens to be a listener and fan of your mental breakdown. Welcome, Mary. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much, you guys. I am very excited to be here today. As Meredith said, I'm a colleague, so I'm also a DBT therapist and also a listener and also have been a client throughout many years of my life. So for me, it's been great listening to this podcast and getting to relate to both Drew and Doug. Nice. So weird being on this side of, of the room, so to speak, of the Zoom, because I hear Mary, you saying that and like, I want to ask follow-up questions. I want to get to know you. Yeah. How do I, I'm, like, I'm right? going to, for a change, kind of shut up and let somebody else drive today. Oh, I, <laughs> I know it doesn't happen <laughs> often, but my hands are off the wheel. Fun, fun. So today, if there, I don't know if there's anything else you want to tell us about you, Mary, before we just sort of jump in. Is there, is there something about Mary? Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. There's quite a few things about Mary. <laughs> I am a newer therapist myself. So you guys talked early in your episodes about interns and about different levels of being a therapist. So I actually just completed my clinical hours as of yesterday, <gasps> finalized. Oh nice. Congratulations. Thank you. In case your li the listeners don't really know exactly what that means, after we go to school, we have to do 3,000 hours of training and it's a lot, a lot. Yeah. Getting experience, which yeah. is, you know, awesome. So you just finished that. Yay. Yes. 3,000 hours, two years of supervised hours. And now I get to work on taking my exam to get licensed. So yeah. So I've been learning a lot from listening to these episodes and listening to these sessions. It's been really informative for me. 
Yeah. Cool. So today I get to ask you guys some questions as well as maybe share a little bit about what my thoughts have been on the sessions. And we've got a lot of great questions from listeners too. They're very varied in their topics, but I am going to start with one that was also very top of mind for me and comes from Rachel from the Facebook group. And she says, I'd like to hear more about how this has been for Doug, having his work as a therapist in session completely out there for the world to see, appreciate, scrutinize, perhaps even criticize. (laughs) Although she she adds this, and this is a little validation for you, Doug. I can't imagine what there could be to criticize, of course. He is also (laughs) being very brave and vulnerable, putting himself and his work out there in this way. I'd like to know how that experience has been for him and how he handles feedback from listeners and other mental health practitioners, especially the difficult kind. Ooh, great question. That's a great question. And it's one I've gotten from my colleagues when we talk about this. I think for me, where I am now in my career as a therapist, I'm pretty comfortable with how I am as a therapist, which also means I'm still growing and evolving and learning. I definitely don't know all there is to know. There's no possible way. So when I get somebody criticizing me, it's criticism isn't a negative word. It it can be constructive criticism. I've had a colleague of mine say, um, I notice you, you lead Drew sometimes, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to letting him find the thing like, yeah, I'm not a very passive therapist. And I, I hear what she says and I think, oh yeah, maybe I, I could lead less. And I think about it. My own mechanism goes, how am I with other clients? Cause this is just me with one client. And he responds really well to that style and he still comes up with things himself and he works with things outside of the room, which is great. So for me, I kind of always have that mechanism of how am I as a therapist? Can I grow more? Can I take this in? Can I, can I embody what they're talking about and incorporate that and improve and, and grow? So the criticism doesn't bother me. I think there will be something, and Meredith, what you said early on was some people are going to love us, some people are going to hate us, and some people just won't give a shit. I have clients who are very prominent on social media and they have, you know, tens of thousands of positive comments and a handful of negative ones, they will focus on the negative and it's really, really hard. I don't necessarily do that. I try not to read too much and try not to be on social too much. I'm still there because I think what's unique about our listeners in this group is there are people that are committed to their own growth and and to this community that we're building. So I don't think you're getting a whole lot of trolls on here. You might get people that question why I'm doing something or do it that way, but I think they do it from a place of wanting to learn and wanting to grow themselves. I also think other people's intentions might be to criticize, but I also think we can take it as feedback, exactly. depending on like how we want to look at it. Sort of like you said, just depends on, can we take that information? Be like, oh, okay, yeah. Like even if they phrase it in this really shitty way, be like, eh. Part of that might be true. Criticism, feedback, it's all, it all can be helpful to grow. I also see it as if they're really critical of something and very aggressive about it, that's their issue, not mine. Yep, mm-hmm. totally. So I'm also not somebody who's saying, here's my style of therapy that you all need to learn and you all need to do. Not at all. I'm not the right. only therapist out there. There are plenty of great therapists. There are some not so great therapists and it's finding your fit. There are clients that I don't work well with, so I don't work with them. And that, that happens. I think the, the ego part where you're trying to say, here's the best way to do it, that gets you in trouble. And I don't have that. So if people have a certain response to me, 
that's their response. That's totally valid. Unless they're wrong because I fucking kick ass. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, I love that. I think that that shows a lot of bravery, yes, and also just maturity as a therapist because I think, Mm -hmm. like, speaking for myself, someone who's been doing this for two years or so post-grad, it would be so difficult to have people listen to sessions. And at our clinic, we've talked about recording sessions. And I just remember getting like immediately heated physically. And that was only with my (laughs) team listening who I trust. And I talk to about, you know, all of my clients and such. So props to you. That is amazing. Thanks. And you guys kind of touched on some things that we're going to move into as well. So how do you think Drew feels about being on the podcast for the world to listen Mm -hmm. to? So I know in the recap episode, we got to hear some of his thoughts initially, but I wonder if you could speak a little bit more to that. Abby from the Facebook group also asked that question. Yeah, it's interesting because in the sort of where we are in the podcast timeline now is the six month mark. Of, of Drew in session and was also right when we started the podcast. So he started listening to the first couple episodes. Since then, he hasn't really listened to them very much. It's not a tool that he uses. He's pretty busy. He's pretty active. He appreciates that it's there. And sometimes he'll ask me about how it's going and he'll want to hear some of the feedback, which is pretty cool. He doesn't use it the way that I think we all do. Like I, I listen to the podcast myself and I listen to it for how was I, how, how were, you know, Meredith and I talking, how does it sound with the client for him? He's just in a different place. I think it's really cool that he has this kind of living journal of his growth and he can go back and listen to certain things. And I'll take where he is right now in real time and compare it to either where we are in podcast time or where we are at the beginning of the podcast to highlight stuff for him. And it's just different because it's it's living, breathing, existing versus just in one of our memories. What's he so busy doing, Doug? Is he busy yeah. getting back together with his ex? Is he busy? What's he busy doing? We want to know. We do want to know. I can't really tell you. All I can say is when it's Fine. when you're only thinking about yourself, then then things are a lot easier. But when you're like, for example, a baby daddy, or you know, you have other things going on, <laughs> then you have to <laughs> marry this face. I love it, baby daddy. Uh, I'm what? totally fucking with you. There's you. no way I'm going to tell you what what he's doing right now. You will you will listen and you will find out. Oh my god, Drew had a baby. Drew had a baby. <laughs> I think Meredith had a cow. <laughs> this is what I I will reach out or I have reached out to Meredith and asked like, please let me know if Drew gets back with his ex. I need to be in an emotionally like safe place to be able to listen to that episode. Mm-hmm. So and I'm like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, which is at least before you put out the episode, let me know because I need to be prepared for this in some way. Right. Well, I will say Drew is a changed person Mm -hmm. uh, having gone through that relationship that way. So Mm -hmm. whether he's back with her or with somebody else, he's going Mm -hmm. to be different going into it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you'll get to hear whatever relationship he's in from a different starting point, not from that. And he's even, we've referenced it. He was very, he would say needy, but needed a lot of that reassurance, was Uh very insecure. Mm -hmm. And it it came out a lot. So because it's come out, because he actually got to process it this time, it's different the next go around for him in whatever relationship with whatever person he might be with. 
Okay. Okay. Well, why don't we move into a couple more questions that listeners had for Drew then while we're here. So Jenny on Instagram wants to know, does Drew still go to church and does his new girlfriend go too? So Jenny has decided that Drew already has a new girlfriend. Interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I will, I will avoid answering that one in any way. Because I can't give any information, but nice fish. Nice fish there, Jenny. I, I, I we tried. Oh, we tried. Good one, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Yes, Drew still goes to church. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's a regular occurrence because he's been incredibly busy. It's still a big part of his life. And what he's realized is church is a part of his life. And he wants that to be a part of whatever relationship he's in. Not necessarily meaning they have to go to church, but somebody has to understand that that faith and and what he believes and his relationship with the church, with God, with faith means something to him. And he's not going to stifle that. So he's, he's very much about it being a part of his life. And now this does go into what you touched on earlier as well. So Footsie J on Instagram wants to know, how did you choose Drew as your client for the podcast? And what were your selection parameters? Interesting. Well, Footsie J... I want to know how you came up with that name. <laughs> I really hope it wasn't a typo, and I really hope it is Footsie J. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, okay. I mean, what comes up for you guys, just in terms of his name, not the question? Is it like playing footsie under the table with somebody, <laughs> yes. or is it like somebody that plays soccer? Uh, footsie under Definitely the table. Definitely footsie, yeah, under yeah. the table. Nice. nice. And then nice. you said typo, like and then I thought maybe it was tootsie. But then I thought <laughs> tootsie, tootsie J. Tootsie no. J? No, I like footsie oh, J. We'll go yeah. footsie J. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. How did I come up with Drew and what was my process? My process is actually fairly similar to my process of taking on any new client. I have a phone conversation with them. I get a sense of what's going on with them. If they respond to me or not, every new client that I talk to, potential new client, I say, you know, I know a lot of therapists. So if we don't, if we're not a fit, that's cool. I'll stick with you till we find somebody that works for you that you like. And it's about that right fit, that personality and the logistics of, geography, finances, scheduling. I think geography is a little out the window these days with the pandemic. For Drew, it was, we went through all that and I have a pretty full practice. So, you know, I said, I can help you find somebody. I'm also starting to do a podcast and recording clients. So if that's something that interests you, we can talk more about that. If it doesn't, that's totally fine. And he was like, no, no, I actually kind of like that. And something that was unique to Drew was he was really interested in giving back to people and helping other people in some way. So what's a through line for the entire podcast for Drew is if anything that he's going through or he and I are talking about can help someone else, he loves that. You know, that means so much to him. It's it's really validating for his own growth and experience and something I think in life we all kind of look for it. Like can people learn from my experience? Can I share some of this with somebody and doesn't have an effect on them? So that really clicked and it really just made sense because some of the things that he told me about early on just seemed like, wow, there's a lot of work that we can do. We can dive into here. I didn't know when I first met him, we met, we started recording and that's when he was telling me about finding his mom OD'd, you know, some of that trauma history. He mentioned night terrors early on. And if you go back and listen to that first episode, I had no idea what I was getting into with him. Right. You know, it was just, let's hear his story. Yeah. You know, and Meredith's Mm -hmm. favorite word for it. He just came in and spewed. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 
gross, but necessary. So it, it, totally. it just happened to be a, a really great fit. And mm-hmm. I think a, an interesting bonus question to those questions would be if you started recording with somebody intending to put it on the podcast and then it wasn't a good fit, what would you do? Yeah. Cause I've, I've wondered this a lot myself. Like, how do you, how did you get someone like Drew? Because when we listen to the sessions, I think that a lot of us as listeners can like, are a bit amazed, like, wow, this is going really well. Like his progress is, you know, while it's not always very fast at times, it's, it's happening. And he's very involved and active and he really wants this, which is something that doesn't always last this long with clients. And it's just been, you know, very interesting watching that growth happen over these six months. Yeah. Something Meredith said early on, asked me, I think on the podcast, you said, is this your average client? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Typical yes. client? <laughs> right. Thank God. Cause I wanted to know the same thing when right? she asked that. Right. <laughs> And I I think, Mary, something you were talking about earlier of just being a more mature therapist, I'm incredibly immature most of the time. Totally. As a therapist, I have matured. Yeah. Uh And I think that's, I'm very selective, I guess. You know, and and the second part of that question, what's your selection process? Well, it's getting a read for somebody and getting a feel for them off the bat and then really having the sense of no ego and sense of abundance of being able to say, yeah, I'm not the right fit for you. And that's okay. Early in my career, I thought, oh no, I can help anybody with anything. I'm going to learn this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to get better at that. I'm like, no, no, I've kind of got my my brand and my style. It sounds slightly different with different people. Mary, you were talking about the analogies for for women. Like, yeah, I've got female clients. We've got, although some of them actually like some of them more. You like even the driving analogy, right? I know. I said it was super sexist and I was just kidding. And then you said you had Barbie dolls and blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) I think Mary knows one (laughs) of the things that we really focus on, do what you do best and like do that. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. We don't pretend to have 15 specialties because there's just no way. Like we really do what we do best and we'll refer out if that's not our thing. And, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny. For about a year before this podcast started, uh, Kim and I were talking about how are we, let's do a podcast. How are we going to do it? What should we do? And we kept trying to like try and curate, like, here's how it could work and here's what we could do. And we were driving once and she just put on an Esther Perel episode and it, it hit me like, oh, she's just giving you a session and she's just doing what she does. I mean, her podcast is different because she comes on and you know, it kind of interjects throughout a session. And I, I started then formulating, what if I just take, like you guys were saying, what I do best, I'll air quote best, because it's, you know, I- Right, ego. <laughs> right, that's right. And just go, well, here's a real session. Here's what a session sounds like. And here's the journey of therapy with somebody from day one through, you know, day whatever. And it, it's, it's what I do. So it just felt very natural to do it that way. And for people to come along for the ride is awesome. Yeah. Well, I like how you guys touched on doing what you're best at, right? So working with certain populations, certain types of clients who you 
find that you work very well with. And it's true. Like again, as a newer therapist, that was something that I wasn't sure of. When I started my career, I was asked like, oh, who do you work with? And I said, well, I've worked with these age groups and I've done all this because for two years, they kind of throw you at all different areas as a graduate student. And then over the last two years, I've really learned like what ages I like, what types of people I like, what mental health disorders they have. So for you guys, what inspired you or motivated you to work with the populations of clients that you work with? Meredith, I I know know. who you work with. So I'm like, I would love to hear this answer from you. (laughs) Well, for me, like you said, I tried out a lot of different things. And just because you, you know, school is school and you learn, but being in the world and practicing and you kind of figure out what you fit the best with. And I've, I did a bunch of different things and you guys know, Doug and I worked together in like the inner city with high risk youth and teens and families. And I loved, love, love that. And at some point I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to try something else. And I work really well in addiction because I've dealt with addiction with myself. And I think for me, one of the things is that I have so much compassion that and like tolerance. So for me, a lot of times, like at the clinic, Mary and I work at together, if it's a very difficult or struggling or high risk client, they're like, give them to Meredith, you know, and it's not a judgment against anyone. It's just people struggle more or less or. Right. So I've found that my fit is people I can relate to and my personality because our work married, like obviously we're very transparent. And (laughs) I think it's just a matter of figuring out it's not like who you like or don't like. It's how you fit with certain people and like how you connect. And that's usually going to be like a specific population or, you know. And how they respond. And it can be yeah. fluid and change over time. Like Meredith, you and I bonded because I think the program that we were in in community mental health was some of the more severely emotionally disturbed or mentally disturbed clients that were and families that were dealing with a lot. We were doing home visits. We'd see our clients, it was more intensive. We'd see our clients like two, three, four times a week and spend, you know, not 50 minutes with them, but sometimes a couple hours with them. And even some of the more difficult, I'm air quoting difficult cases would come to us. So, you know, it, it was, I think there's something about our nature that's like, why are these people not being given the services? Like, because they're difficult that, okay fine. And we took it and we do it over time. You just kind of hone that. Like I love working with teens still do. I'll probably always will. I don't necessarily love working with clients with psychotic disorders, which is what I did back then. So just kind of refining and coming to what's your wheelhouse, what feels good for you. That's how you sustain as a therapist too. Cause if you think I can work with anybody, anytime with anything, you will burn out fast and you will not be effective. Right. Yep, totally. Mary, you work with a lot of adolescents, right? I work with some adolescents. And actually, it's interesting because when I went into practicing DBT, I thought that I would want to work with a lot more adolescents. And I've learned that I, while I like working with them somewhat, I actually feel like I do better work with older clients. So clients in like their 20s, Mm. 30s, yeah. I have a couple clients <laughs> who are much older. older, older than teens, <laughs> older than teens. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I guess it has, it has shifted, right? Somewhat for you. It has since in the last year and a half or so that I've been at our clinic, like I've definitely shifted populations. 
Mary also runs a lot of groups. Yes. Which is amazing. <laughs> I, mm. Yeah. Explain that, that response. So groups with DBT are a lot. I have one group that has primarily uh, Meredith clients and I, it's my special group to me. It, it takes a lot to run groups. Luckily, we do it with another clinician. So there's two of us. But for any newer therapists or any therapist wanting to get a lot of experience quickly, I would highly suggest running any kind of group therapy if that's an opportunity for you because it really throws, you know, it's like getting to see what five to eight clients in a two hour period as opposed to seeing two clients in a two hour period. Like it really has helped me grow very, very quickly as a clinician. I feel like. Yeah. I've seen that growth in yeah. you like yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Meredith, you've gotten to see me go from, because I, I had only been in schools primarily in like South Los Angeles. And then this was my first working at our clinic was the first time doing like traditional therapy, which isn't even really traditional therapy because of yeah. it's DBT, but it's been a lot of growth very quickly. <laughs> It's funny too, because that, that idea of traditional therapy is it's changing. And that's part of what we're doing with this, because the idea of a therapist being a blank canvas and you don't know anything about them. And there's a lot of merit to that where you don't want to come in to see your therapist and feel like you have to take care of them or make sure they're okay, or just present the good stuff to them or, oh, I didn't want to tell them this. It's embarrassing. And what, you know, we read somebody's post from Instagram that I didn't even know that was just like a you know, after two years, I just told my therapist everything. And it was really vulnerable and exposed a lot. And I think that's, it's something that we might lose sight of and forget, which is that, you know, clients are coming in. And sometimes they do worry about us. And do we think and do we like them? And for me talking about what what's a good fit and what's not, I think that old school traditional therapy style of being that blank canvas doesn't appeal to me. I, I don't mind my clients knowing that I've been an entertainer. I've, I've been in the creative field and that's something that I love working with creatives and they love that I know what that is and what that, what that's like. And there's, there's a great bond there. Even Drew is creative. You know, he's in the fashion world. He's, his mind thinks that way. And it, it's a space that I recognize. Well, I love working with, not to say I, I, I can't work with people that aren't creative. I do. It's just tapping into that and being transparent, which Meredith and I both are with our clients. So we tap into our experience and it's a way to, to bond and do the work. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you guys both mentioned transparency. And then earlier, Doug, you were talking about giving, you know, kind of identifying things for Drew and rather than maybe him building more insight on his own. And so in relation to that, like you do kind of give some clear directions to Drew, but I don't notice that as much more. It's like helping him get to that place that he sees it and then identifies the direction for himself. So could you guys speak, and that's two different things really, but speak a little bit to how you would or would not give directions to clients and why you would or would not give clear directions to clients. And then also a bit about that transparency or what we call self-disclosure. Well, for me, in terms of direction, it's very rare that I just give any straight up direction. I mean, every blue moon, I'll be like, that's a horrible idea. Don't do that. But for the <laughs> most part, it's a very collaborative work and conversation. And, you know, clients like, should I do that? I'm like, well, what do you think? Or it's a lot of listening I listen and then I ask a lot of questions, but I don't really throw out ideas. 
because no advice really. I mean, insight into like what my experiences have been in life, but I have so many thoughts in my head when they're talking that if I throw them out, then I feel like I'm leading them and I don't want to lead them. And at the same time, I will say I tend to have those clients. Well, let hold on. Let's check the facts on that. So you think that he hates you or thinks you're worthless. Like, did he actually say that? So let's check the facts on that back up, you know, as opposed to something like, well, so what you're saying, what you're picking up is that you're worthless. And how does that connect to this and that, you know, or whatever. And that's obviously because think about that, like your parents and every blue moon, I will do that. But it's definitely a lot more like, let's work together on this and try and figure it out. And a lot of times I'll get that. Well, you're the expert. Don't you know the answer? And I'm like, nope. Right. Can't you just tell me what to do? Yeah. Right? I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I sure don't. So let's like talk about it together. Yeah. Clients will say that a lot. Like, can't you just tell me what to do? Like as a therapist, you know, you hear that and you go, wow, so this is really uncomfortable for you. Right. You no, know, are you really unsure? You know, and you work with that piece and you get to it together. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's Meredith, what you said, like getting to it together, collaborating with them and why it tends to work for me with what you're hearing with Drew. And remember, this is just me with one client. You know, I sound different with each client. What I often do is I, Meredith and I talked about this in terms of when I would say he's got good integrity or good morals. And she was like, what does that mean? Good. And I said, well, for him, based on his own judgment of it, I suspend my judgment and I really try to get in their head with where their authentic self is. And then if I'm ever directive, it's I'm trying to direct from that place, from their authentic self, not mine. I don't want everybody to be like me. That'd be a, I mean, it'd be a wonderfully peaceful, beautiful world, but it'd be so fucking boring. You (laughs) You don't want that. You don't want a carbon copy of yourself. And one episode we were talking about that in terms of relationships and Drew was like, yeah, I don't want somebody just like me. No, but therapeutically, I try to put my head in terms of how his brain is thinking and where his authentic self is. So when I'm directive, I'm coming from that place, not from a, I know better than you do. It's I'm, I'm the voice of you in a sense. So it tends to work. And that, that voice will sound different depending on what client I'm with, which is why to me, like coming from the creative world, it, it's, it's great. Cause I just, I, I join with them based on who they are. And that again, speaks to why I'm so selective about my clients because I, I really do join with them for their journey. And some are with me for six or seven years and some are with me for like a year and, and off. But for whatever length of time, you really just jump into it with them and help them out based on their best self, not yours. I've never heard that before. That's cool. I like that, like getting into their head and like expressing like direction based off how they would think about something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. thought... I heard that too. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes uh-huh. sense. What about for you, Mary? I'm curious. So similar to you, I, I get a lot of clients wanting, just asking like, what should I do? And I, I love that in DBT, I feel like we always have like something to fall back on, like a skill we can be like, well, let's check the facts on this. Well, let's mm-hmm. do pros mm-hmm. and cons. And it does come to like a place of let's help you build the insight and figure out what you is going to be the most effective thing for you. Mm-hmm. And also like, I don't want to be responsible for, for you totally. know, what they decide to do. I was thinking that. <laughs> That's just really honest. I, I love that though. There's something I learned. 
I think it might have been from Jason Stein, who was back at one of the the early community health clinics I was at, where it was a brand of like listening to a client when they maybe weren't, especially a teenager uh, or young kid, that they weren't telling you how they were feeling about something, but you could sense it from them or you could see it. And he said, well, if you just say, wow, you're really angry right now. I was like, what the fuck? I'm going to tell them how they're feeling? No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got that. When I was young, therapists used to tell me yeah. that. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> right, right. And that's, that's, you know, and I loved it as a tool. The way that he explained it to me was a client will correct you if you're wrong. Yes. Right. And if you're right, they'll kind of look at you like, how did you know I felt that way? Yeah. So yeah. it's a great way to do it. And I, I kind of tend to think of what we're talking about as, as just like that. You know, it, when a client is like, oh, God, I don't know. I don't know if I should stay in this relationship. He's really mean, but he does all this and he does it. What do you think I should do? I mean, you're a man. What do you think I should do? <laughs> I'll, sometimes I'll say, oh, you should absolutely break up with him. Like I, I would just pack my shit and get the fuck out of there right now. And I'll say it and it's, it's sort of funny, but it's not. Yeah. But it's, it's that extreme of like, you're really angry right now. And I'll go, no, I'm not. So as soon as I say that, they'll go, oh, well, I mean, and then we get to talk about it yeah. and then we get yeah. to where it is. So I will say it as a tool, but it's absolutely not me directing them to do something in their lives. It's playing that voice in their own head that is telling them to do something. It's like flip a coin to make a decision. Oh, it's heads. That means I'm going to leave him. Oh, but I really didn't want to. Or like, uh, do I want Chinese food for dinner or Mexican food? Flip a coin. Oh, it's Mexican. Man, I really wanted my Kung Pao. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now you know. Totally. Right? I can see that going very well with some clients and not very yeah. well with other clients. <laughs> sure. <laughs> totally. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got to know your client for sure. Exactly. Yeah. It always comes down to like, how well do you know your client and how mm-hmm. they might respond to things like that? Because those kinds of interventions we can't use in the first sessions we have with oh, people. Oh, no way. Totally. To get there. And it's so funny too, because this is like a combination of direction and transparency. But my client actually yesterday, I think, oh my God, he's so adorable. And he was like, okay, I went to the store and I met this girl and we had this full on connection and I should have got asked for her number. And this is like something he's working on. Right. And then he texted me this. He's like, do you think I should call and say like, oh, hey, I forgot something. Like I forgot to get your number. And I was like, fuck yes. Yes. Oh my God. That's so cute. Like, yes, I would love that. Like, you know, whatever. And then he texts me five minutes later. He's like, that went fucking horribly. (laughs) And And then he's like, he's like, literally, he's like, she was literally said like, no. And I was like, what? No, she didn't. She just said, and he was like, yeah very strong. No. And I was like, I will fucking kick that bitch's ass. I'm going to go down there. Fuck her. And he was like laughing. And then he's like, I'm really, really glad I did it. He's like, it yes, stung. He's like, it about. stung, yeah. but I'm so glad I did it. And I was like, fuck yeah. He's like, thank you for encouraging me. And I was like, phew. <laughs> right. Cause even though it's funny and you're like, I'll kick that bitch's ass. Like yeah. mm-hmm. we're not invested in the outcome. Maybe a little bit. It's, it's yeah, not fair yeah, to yeah. say we're not invested. Of course we are, yeah. but we're more invested in their process. Yep. And for him being able to go back and ask was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yep. fantastic. And for him to say, yeah, I'm really glad I did that. Right. That's what it's all about. So right? awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Love that. And then just to circle back to the self-disclosure piece. So I know, Doug, 
I don't know how much you've self-disclosed with Drew. I know you, you shared one snippet of like a story you told him that was in the benefit of him to help him understand like that you know what it's like to feel overwhelmed with emotions all the time or overwhelmed sure. with responsibility and how you got to like the naming of your practice and such. And then Meredith, you talked about self-disclosure, being transparent, you know, especially in DBT. So what does that look like for each of you guys in your practices? Oh man, I'm just a (laughs) self-disclosure, but just all day, every day. I mean, look, we're supposed to, or yes, we're supposed to do it in the benefit of our client. Yes, for sure. And I definitely do. And that's when I say, look, you know, if we're talking about something and I say, look, like, I can tell you that I've gone through something similar and this happened, whatever. And then there's also the banter that I have with my clients, sort of where client will be like, it's so hot out. And I'll be like, oh my God, it's so fucking hot. Like this morning I decided to, which I did yesterday morning, decided to chop down this like very sick lemon tree. And then I was like pouring sweat, whatever. So in that way, like the self-disclosure, it's just, it can come in just like banter and conversation that I think we have a lot of with our clients in DBT, especially, or my clients in general, where they're like, oh, my dog. And I'm like, oh my God, do you want to see a picture of my sister's dogs? They're so cute. You know, (laughs) is it different during the pandemic while we're on zoom? I was wondering too. So different. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I'm like, you want to see my new plant? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. That's a, somebody asked me if I thought about using my own office as a superimposed backdrop on Zoom mm-hmm. so that clients could see the office. That's nice, but it would be so clear it's fake. And mm-hmm. a lot of how I practice and how I live is trying trying to and being authentic. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. No, this is where I am right now. This is what I look like today. Yeah. And every blue moon, like hurt my back at one point. And so I was like, yes, I'm sitting in my bed right now, just so you know, because my back hurts (laughs) or like after sitting for a while, I'm like, I'm going to move rooms now. So Mm -hmm. you're going to come with me. Yeah. Again, it's sort of that authenticity and transparency for me. I'm not like, come to the bathroom with me. (laughs) (laughs) Not that close yet. Yeah. Or like, let me, I'm going to eat breakfast while we talk, you know, not like that. Yeah. I've had clients when I'm just refilling my glass of water go, are you peeing right now? Like I'm (laughs) refilling my water. (laughs) Okay. You know, and it's bizarre because especially certain headphones will pick up ambient noise very, very loud, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it goes back to like starting therapy, like not wanting to move or make a sound or disrupt anything. Mm-hmm. I think as a therapist, you have to be aware of that because if, if there's a lot of background noise, it's distracting for a client. You know, they don't want that. They, they want to know that they have your full attention. I love that story, Doug. I love how you said that in the beginning, you like didn't want to move a muscle or sneeze or anything. Yeah, totally. Totally. I was, I was freaked out. I can relate to that so, so much. And I very quickly had to get comfortable because it's like, right. You can't do good work if you're not comfortable yourself. I feel like. Especially at our place. Cause I'm like, Mary fucking relax. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll be like, Mary, they, they will eat you alive, especially in group. I'm like, yes. you have to just be like, ta-da. Hey uh-huh. guys. Like I'm going to tap dance for you today sometimes. Cause Mary also <laughs> runs a lot of night groups. Yes. It's like 845 at night. Everyone's at home now. They just want to be done. And yeah, we have to keep them entertained. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mary, I'm telling you, you guys, even though you're talk about being a newer therapist and like, mm-hmm. you would never know, like Mary's like selling herself short. She just like, is just like jumped in again, like a little learning process in the beginning, but especially <laughs> if you met our team, our team is just like, there's no room for sink or swim. There's not a real learning curve in terms mm-hmm. of the team and get, jumping straight in. I think there's 18 of us now, especially before the pandemic. You come into our treatment team once a week. We're all sitting on the floor. We're eating. We're like, hey, what's up? Like talking about some crazy ass shit. And like, that's it. We're like, Mary, what do you think? You don't get to yeah. be silent in the corner. We're just like, no, sink or swim. Exactly. And I think it makes you such, it just makes you grow so quickly. Yeah. Mm. I think there's certain environments where you can just like really grow fast as a therapist and um, ours is one of them. And we get a lot of feedback, not criticism. Mm -hmm. You'll pull me aside or I'll pull you aside and be like, okay, so with that client in team, here's what you do, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, you know, Mary will be like, oh yeah, someone said this to me about you. And I'm like, great. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I think in a recent episode, you guys talked about how some people work with consultation teams as individual private practice therapists. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, Meredith and I, like she had mentioned previously, we get to meet with our team every single week for two hours and sit and eat and laugh and cry with each other mm-hmm. and get real vulnerable. And I don't know if you guys have had the experience of not getting to have that team support or not getting to consult with others and like what drawbacks or or positives have you had if there's any positives. Or having to consult with a team that is not, we don't click with a lot, like some of the places maybe we've worked on. I think one of the positives is it will force you to go out and get it if you're not getting that. And I, I think I told this story in the, the recent one that you just mentioned a little while ago, Mary, about how I told Drew about the name Clear Mindful Heart and where that came from, that I had a failed private practice before I had this one. And the people around me were competitive. They were in a scarcity mentality where they just wanted more clients and they wanted to get this. And, they, and it, it was just the wrong fit. It was not very collaborative. It was not very supportive. I met a few people during that time that were John, who was on the round table with us, I met him around that time and he was incredibly supportive. And when I came back to private practice, it was through him, some of his friends, some of the other friends that I had that were much more in an abundance mentality. It was collaborative. It wasn't competitive. And they would bring me to networkings and introduce me to other therapists and we would talk shop a lot. And it was great. And talking shop in private practice, not in an agency or group practice was about like starting your practice and how that goes and what that's like. Cause nobody, when you're in school teaches you how to run a business. And I think what's, what's really tough for therapists is they kind of come out of school and you go, okay, here's your degree, go get your experience. And you, there you go. And you either join a clinic somewhere or you try to do your own thing, but nobody prepared you for that or teaches you how to do it or how to do it consciously or well. So it, it, it's a learning curve when you start that's, I think, pretty tremendous and what scares a lot of therapists from going into private practice or getting there and just becoming very complacent because you find the one thing that works and that's all you do. So having that collaboration, having that, whether it's a consult group that you're in or just colleagues, I talk to a ton of colleagues all the time. Some of my best friends are fellow therapists. I was friends with Meredith before we started this. Way back. Right. Way back. That's just how we talk, how we are. So having that and having that be supportive 
Meredith and I don't fight over clients. We have given each other clients. You know, I even talking about the right fit. I had a client more recently who was also experiencing an eating disorder on top of a lot of other stuff she was dealing with. And I sent her to a good colleague of mine who is a fantastic eating disorder specialist. And she's doing work with her while also seeing me. So it, it's very collaborative that way. And I think it, it should be that way. And even if there's different approaches, they're not in conflict. There's never, I don't think, an approach saying this approach is better than that approach. It's just this approach is different than that approach. And it's going to resonate with different people. Totally. Yep. I like that you mentioned that about collaboration because that right. was one thing I didn't know, right? Prior to entering this field was that different clinicians can work together. So you can have an eating disorder specialist, you can have, you know, a trauma therapist, totally. you can have a grief therapist, like you can have different therapists or different clinicians working with you to support you and they can all also communicate and work together. And that's really powerful. Yeah, for sure. So we have a couple questions about being and becoming a therapist. So I like this one a lot and it made me laugh. Elise on Instagram asks, how do you handle the general feeling of going into a counseling profession to help others, but not having your own shit together? <laughs> Get your I shit have no right idea first. what you're talking about. No clue. I am perfect. Everything is together. Doug, you take this one. Yeah, I'll take this one. <laughs> like, I'm a mess. You take it. <laughs> I mean, that's something that that you said early on in the podcast. Not all therapists have their shit together. And it's I think it's true. It's it's not that, you know, I am the guru on the mountain. Listen to me. Anybody can be a guru up in a mountain. Can you be a guru down in the city? Like with all the stress, with all the pressure, with all your imperfections? Damn. Listen to that. Right? That's a good one. I think uh, ironically, there's a Tony Robbins special that's on Netflix which is great. And it's titled, I am not your guru. You don't have to have your shit together. What you do have to be able to do is compartmentalize your shit so it doesn't come into the room with you. And that's talking about transparency and self-disclosure. You can do it as it serves the client and benefits them. If you're working your shit out in the room, get the fuck out. That's not how it works. You know, and, and that's something where that doesn't, doesn't mean you can't have you know, your life be a mess or certain things in your life a mess or just not figured out. You absolutely can. You just can't bring that into the therapy room with you. Yeah. You're not like, I got in this huge fight with my boyfriend last night. <laughs> like, no, but I also talk a lot about with my clients because I have had a lot of growth in my life, like a lot of growth over time. And so I can share that. I'm, what I'm not saying to them is, and so I've grown to perfection but I can share about how much I have grown and this is why and this is how and it's still not perfect and we will always be growing and, and that it's hard work sometimes, a lot of times. Like you got to, you want to grow, like put in the work. Yeah. When you grow, old parts of yourself have to go and be let go. That can be really tough and really hard. And I'll tell clients, you know, when this stuff comes up, I have a bias here. My bias is personal growth is an ongoing process. There's no end point that you reach and go, wow, now I'm grown. Now I'm woke. I've experienced enlightenment. I've reached nirvana. I've done it. Uh -huh. <laughs> nope. nope. Right. Keep going. And, and maybe you have and keep going. I always say this. Even the Dalai Lama is like, there's always work to do on yourself. That was one of our quotes that came out <laughs> in the podcast because you said that on here, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're not growing, you're stagnant or complacent. And that's where, you know, old patterns and old habits creep in. And, and I think we, we lose it. And like 
mold grows in the water and then it gets gross and you don't change the water and it's not flowing and then you're hey, just like, hey, Ew. hey, hey, I showered today. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Finally. It's all we ask. Right. Yep. Once a week. Once a week. Once a week. That's all it takes. Uh, I like that though. Yeah. The separation, right? So like we can share our past experiences and growth that we've had and yet keeping some of like the present problems more, there's more distance there. It's basically yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like right. that. Looking at it like that. And Chanel on Instagram wants to know what is the hardest part of being a therapist? What made you realize you were in the right field? And then do you guys specialize in any specific types of therapy? So hardest part. Hmm. The hardest part is, well, I think, okay. So the hardest part, there's a couple of parts. One is that my brain never shuts off. Well, my brain never shuts off anyway, but <laughs> the way, the way that I think in all interactions in my life, and especially as, as, as I've like honed in on the type of therapy I do. And sometimes I just forget to not be like, oh, well, it's not about like, I don't say like, well, how does that make you feel with my friends or whatever? But it is like just even my thought process. But I, I think also the other hard part is for sure when people find out I'm a therapist, they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, let me tell, like, ask you about this. It's not even <laughs> just that. I think we all have like an inherent, what drew us to be therapists is like some inherent personality trait that people can pick up on even if they don't know we're therapists, right? Mm -hmm. That makes them sort of like drawn to us to ask questions or advice or right. like want to share. And so I think sometimes that's hard because I'm a therapist 24 seven. Right. And that's, that's, it's funny. Kim's family used to get pissed at her and she'd get really pissed at them sometimes when they'd say, stop sounding like a therapist. And she'd go, mm -hmm. I am a therapist. This is just how I sound. This is just me. Yeah. You know, it's not my profession didn't make me sound like this. I've always been like this, right? Exactly. I remember once at a poker table with strangers, not my friends I play poker with many years ago, the guy next to me, we we're just chatting up the whole time. Um, I'm pretty chatty at a poker table and uh, I'm pretty chatty fucking everywhere. <laughs> but, uh, not always, not always, wasn't always, wasn't always. But uh, he asked what I did and I said, I was a therapist. He goes, what kind? It's like, oh, a psychotherapist. He goes, oh, oh, oh that's cool. And then like the next hand, I, I like might've bet somebody out of a hand and he just goes, careful, he's a shrink. And the whole table was like, Oh, uh oh. And then they just, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm like, what? I don't have like some fucking superpower where I can read on your minds and know your yeah. innermost emotions. And I mean, if I did, I'd quit this and just play poker for a living. It'd be great. Right? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. Going back to your question, Mary, the hardest part for me, similar to Meredith's actually, is saying no. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really, really hard for me, especially when. I get a client that's referred to me that might've been referred from a current client that checks all the boxes for me of being a good fit, like the logistics check out, and they really like the creativity that I understand that they like my approach and they want change in their life. And again, going back to Meredith, you asking like, is this your average typical client? Like if I get one of those, like, oh man, I'd love to work with this person. I have to say no, because I don't have the time. I, I can't. And I have done it in the past where I will take it on and then I'm overworking and then we get to burnout and compassion fatigue and then you're no good to anybody. And mm -hmm. it's not noble 
to take on something extra yeah, because you yeah. can and because you'd be good at it. That's where I really started working on, okay, I need to to build my referral network. And I have somebody working for my group practice now that's awesome. So I can go, okay, cool. Go see Sasha. Don't I can't, I can't take you. But saying no is is the hardest thing. Even if a current client was like, hey, can I see you twice this week? Right. Like I have a hard time saying no if it's appropriate because that's them looking for help and support and knowing that you can help and support them. We want to do it. And I have a similar brain as Meredith, which is just very active and and wants to be involved and wants to do that. I'm also trying to balance taking care of myself and not doing too much. So I'd say that that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Mary? It's, it's funny. I didn't even think about this for myself, but what you guys said really resonates. I often do struggle with saying no, whether it be from a fellow mm. clinician asking me for support or, you know, helping cover something mm-hmm. or especially during the pandemic, I think, yeah. because it's sort of harder to justify for myself, like, oh, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z, or because there's not a lot of X, Y, and Z happening. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's definitely more challenging in that way. And I think also just when it isn't like a good fit, just kind of identifying that and Mm -hmm. being honest with myself and with my team and with the client and kind of going from there and um, advocating for myself when I need to in those ways. It's it's hard. It's really hard. It takes a lot of practice. Yeah. 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 And and I think one of the things going back to an earlier question, when you're doing private practice all on your own, there's no real checks and balances. There's no real support. That's why I think it's very important to be a part of a community, to have some sort of, whether it's a consult group or just colleagues that you can talk to because freaking burnout is real. Compassion fatigue is real and not just as a therapist in general. And I think people are experiencing a lot of that with the pandemic. You just kind of take it for granted that we're all a little burnt out from feeling so deeply, caring about others so much. And it's really hard to say no to just about anything these days. Yeah. And being on, you know, Zoom for most of us with our clients, like we're so, I feel like we're even closer with them for obvious reasons. Like we're in each other's homes, you know, for at least an hour every day or every week. And so it's like the compassion is even stronger in some ways, even though we're not seeing each other in person. And because we are all going through the same joint collective like experience that can potentially be traumatic for people. And so it's tough to be able to like separate sometimes too. Yeah. That is true. I never really thought about, I've thought about it, but I haven't actually put it together like that. This is the first time that no matter what, we all have something in common with our clients that we're experiencing day to day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to kind of ask a couple final questions about what's next on the podcast. So I want to know, this is, my own question is, do we get to hear sessions with Drew recorded during the pandemic? Yes. Yay. Okay, great. Because <laughs> I would love to hear what sessions are like during this pandemic from someone else's, you know, practice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting too, because I sort of teased this a little bit that at the start of the pandemic, he got really ill. Um, he got sick. Oh, that's and right. He was, mm-hmm. he was up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced he had he had the the coronavirus. Whether he does or whether he doesn't, it, I mean, we took a few weeks off so he yeah. could recover. 
And it was it was wild because it pandemic happened and it seemed to happen all of a sudden in March, you know, where we shut down. That was right when he was up in Seattle. And then I was shut down and just doing remote and he got sick. And then, you know, we had this break for a while before we we just got back into it. And then we got back into it and we were doing remotes. So, <laughs> you know, my apologies, the sound quality is going to be different because we're going to sound different and we're at home and everything's going to just be different. And that's that's the way it was. So we'll yeah. definitely walk through that. And Meredith and I, I'm sure you guys heard our experience of being in the pandemic because we talk and we do the breakdown kind of in real time for you guys. But you'll hear Meredith and I listening to that happening with Drew. So you, it'll probably bring up some some stuff for us as well, right? Mm-hmm. I remember when he was sick and, you know, the pandemic started, but we had no idea what was going to happen. Were we going to go mm-hmm. to the office in two weeks? Like we didn't know. Right. And I remember him being sick and I was like, Doug, you're going to make him get tested right, right before he comes in. And you're like, I can't fucking make him do anything. I was like, well, <laughs> if you see him, then I can't see you to record because, you know, <laughs> he obviously has coronavirus. I was like freaking out. I was like, what is wrong with Aww. you? What do you mean you're not going to make sure he gets it? You were just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, cause we had no yeah. clue what was going to happen. Oh, we, we, we knew nothing. We knew nothing. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cause we, we were talking about that while it was happening. I'm like, I don't know. What do I do now? What do I, I guess, you know? And yeah. like most things, we find a way. Yeah, totally. Of course. Yeah, it was yeah. very much like two weeks at a time for all of us initially. I wouldn't commit to like recurring Zoom sessions for like the first four <laughs> weeks. And finally, I was like, whatever. Yeah, totally. And then a lot of people want to know this. And Tori's specific question, Tori from the Facebook group asks, are you guys going to do this with other clients eventually? I'd love to hear Meredith's style in real time too. Mm. Well, when we started doing this, like, you know, we had the layout and the plan, but like not, well, the next three years are going to look like this. Like we don't really know. And so I think we're just sort of. <laughs> Which our team is honest about, like, you should have produced this a little better, curated this, like whatever, it's real time. This is what it is. It is what it is. You need something, we'll get it to you five hours before you need it. So don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> but yeah, I think so for me in terms of hearing my style and a client and very possible. We'll just sort of see what happens. I think it also depends on the pandemic and how would that work? And if I had never met a client before and I start with them on zoom and is that something I would, you know, I don't know. It's all very Mm. strange. So. Yeah, that's the same. There are two things that I had in the pipeline before pandemic hit, which was an older client of mine that wanted to come back on and just kind of tell his story and recap things. And then a newer client that was going to start out. And I thought that would be interesting because she was female. But then we hit pandemic and we couldn't do it in person. And we kind of put all that on hold. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think this is a a fairly open idea or, or project in terms of yeah, I, I would love to add another client or two when a maybe one of Meredith's, maybe another of mine at some point when it's the right fit, you know, when somebody's willing to do it because they need to be willing to have this recorded mm-hmm. and that fine line of willing to do that, but not wanting to be on display because that's a different psyche that isn't necessarily what we want for this. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that the, the one older client that went through some pretty traumatic stuff is coming back on. When you say older, do you mean age or? Uh, compared to Drew, yes. Previous client? Yes. I worked with him maybe, okay. I met him probably seven years ago. We worked for a few okay. years, stopped. He came back in for tune-ups, stopped, came back in, 
And the super quick version is while we were processing some stuff that had come up for him recently, he found out he had cancer and went out to deal with that, go through chemo. And I was there with him for a lot of that process. And and he's somebody who also was very interested in recording and telling his story and wanting to help people the way that, you know, he's had help, you know, even before his cancer, he was a, a very big proponent of therapy and what it did to help change his mind about his, his patterns and his neural pathways and what was different and how he was different. And then to have gone through what he went through and, you know, be recovered from it and have that story that could impact others and could help others means a lot to him. So we're, we're going to have him on probably recapping and telling his story, not as a client you follow from day one, because he's his day one was seven years ago. We'll mix it up a bit. It's not like, well, season two is now Jane Doe and season three will be back to Drew and season four is going to be the family that Meredith's working with. And you get to hear all of the Jetsons and what they're going through. And, you know, it's... It's because I also don't work with families, so... Right, right. See, so that wouldn't happen. <laughs> but who knows, you guys? It's a surprise. Big surprise. That's right. Well, I'm excited to see where things end up going with the podcast and who you guys end up getting to bring on. Last question for you. Sydney on Instagram asks, what are some things y'all have learned by doing this podcast? Hmm. Nice one. My voice isn't as horrible as I thought. <laughs> Big one. That's a huge. Nice. Nice. Photo shoots have get easier over time. <laughs> <laughs> and the red button means record. <laughs> oh my God. You guys, at some point we're going to put on like our blooper reels. Oh, They're amazing. They're so oh, good. So basically though, Meredith, it's like you can tolerate anything over a period of time. It gets easier. Thank you. That's so what I'm hearing. So eloquently put. Yep, exactly. What I learned, and it might be confirmation bias because I was looking for this to be true, and it is true, is that it doesn't matter what your specific issue is. If you're invested in your own growth, you will be able to apply it to what you're going through. So all the people that say, I didn't think I'd be able to relate to this 24-year-old kid in LA, and they can you know, it was really nice to see that because I, I say a lot, like emotions are universal. The experience of them might be relative to your experience. Like mm -hmm. people that say, oh, I'm really hungry, but there are starving people here, here, and here. So my, hungry, my hunger doesn't matter. Of course it is. It's still what you're feeling. And it being relative, like, sure, maybe theirs is air quoting more important, but it's not. It's relative to your own experience, your own subjective experience. And the great thing about therapy is we are there for one person's experience, not our own. And why I wanted to do this podcast is to open it up to not just their experience, but can people relate to that? Can people learn from that? Can people benefit from that? And having a community that's now talking amongst themselves and, and learning from this and growing from it, I fucking love that. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. So again, it might be confirmation bias because I was looking for that, but that's one thing that I learned is, yeah, that's true. For me as a listener, like I have learned a lot because I can really relate to Drew. Like I shared, like there's a lot of things even specific to his life that I can personally relate to in my own life. And mm. then also mm. Doug, like hearing you, I've learned so much of like different ways to talk to clients. I love your um, metaphors and like just some of that. I've used some of what you've said in my own sessions. 
Oh, nice. You know, just some like, nice. I, I'm like, oh, I really liked this. Like I could use this. And, you know, I'll tell my client like, oh, there's, there's this thing I heard on a podcast or I'll just say it to them and it works. And then, you know, being able to relate to Drew personally, like we can take what applies to us and leave the rest. Totally. Right. And that's something that is so important to be able to do. And I think that's what a lot of people can do with listening to, you know, the last six months of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, another thing I've learned is it is invaluable as a therapist, as a non-therapist, but to be able to be a fly on the wall in someone's session, not just one session, but a bunch, like a lot of sessions is mm-hmm. like, I mean, it really is unlike anything else. And there's just no, like, whenever is someone going to get that opportunity to not only, so you're getting the advice your the experience of a client and a therapist that maybe you can't get in your own life for whatever reason in therapy or go to therapy or, and then as a clinician to be able to listen. And like you said, learn from it. And sometimes, you know, I wish I could just like put my ear to the wall and hear someone else's session or what would they say in this situation or, you know? Yeah. So that is just amazing. That makes so much sense. Cause I know for me, I get it double. Cause I get to be the fly on the wall in the session and then the fly on the wall in your guys's conversation after the session. And it is one of my favorite things in the world to be able to listen to people's private conversations. <laughs> and I, I love it. It's great. And that's basically what you guys are allowing us to do as listeners. And it's pretty cool. And you got a little taste right before we started recording. Of, I yeah. did. Yes, but we I did. Pretty much sound like we sound. We're <laughs> yeah. not that different. Uh-huh. Yep. Not at all. Yeah, I love that. And that's the thing too, though, Doug, is even in your sessions, like your personality, while it's obviously different in sessions, it still comes out in some ways in sessions, you know, not maybe as extremely as it has. <laughs> I notice a bit more maturity in the sessions. <laughs> I, I, I have what? a, pil- I have a filter for appropriateness. It's true. It, right. it exists. Yeah. I think a, a, a big thing for me was about somebody asked me about seeing clients in my neighborhood and I, I kind of went, so I see them in the neighborhood. What? I, I'm no different out there than I am in here. I mean, sure. I might not want them to see me, not that we're doing this right now, but eating dinner or, or drinking a drink or whatever it might be. Like they don't need to see that necessarily, but I'm not any different anywhere. Like I'm somebody who learned a long time ago, if I actually walk my walk and, and walk my talk or talk my walk, whatever those right phrases are. Walk and talk. That's yeah. right. I walk and talk. I, I, I try to do it as authentically as I can. It just makes life so much easier to live. And whether I'm working or not working, I'm the same person. I'm just me regardless. And I'm very much interested in helping somebody else be the me they want to be. Right. That's right. Put that on a t-shirt, bitches. Copyright. <laughs> <That'd be right. laughs> well, I'm so glad that you came on, Mary. I know I've been talking to Doug forever. I'm like, Mary, something about Mary. Yes. That's, yeah. I mean, now I can't stop saying it. But um, yeah, <laughs> so glad that you came on. And thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no, I was excited to be asked. Like, it's cool to have this opportunity to get to ask some of my own questions because obviously, like, I've listened to every episode. So mm-hmm. I I have things I wonder about or want to say. And sometimes I'll text Meredith and I'll be like, oh, you really did this? Or like, and that, like, it's often even about the more personal things she'll mention or whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it'll also sure. be about like things that happened during the episode because I just want to know things. So, right, right. Of course. Mary, thank you again for doing this. Um, Really appreciate it. Cool. Well, thank you guys. 
excited to see what happens next. Stick around. <laughs>